Thanks for pressing play. Welcome to an extra special episode. We hear a lot of talk about courage, grit, and being mission-driven. Well, imagine being a young man who decides to serve his country and become a U.S. Army paratrooper. Then imagine leaving the Army and becoming homeless. Now imagine finding a way out of complete desperation to become a multi-time successful Smalley entrepreneur and now best-selling author. Well, that's Jamie J, and he's the co-founder of a company called Bottleneck Distant Assistance, and he's the author of a brand new bestseller called Quit Repeating Yourself. And Jamie is a man I respect, appreciate, and dare I say love. He's a brother from another mother. You see, Jamie and I have been working together for years, and he has helped me with virtually every aspect of my digital endeavors, uh, including building Lockhead.com, handling, handling all the technical issues for uh, our podcasts, and much, much more. And what you're about to hear is Jamie's inspiring story of how he designed a legendary business and life with his partner. And you'll be especially touched by uh, hearing about how Jamie went from homeless to massive success and pay special attention to how the COVID crisis threatened to destroy Jamie's business, Bottleneck Distant Assistance, and what he, Sarah, and his team did with a new category designed to come back from the brink and power the company to even greater heights. You're listening to Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. Podcast Magazine says we are, quote, the best business podcast. And some podcast reviewers call us, quote, overrated and not worth it and offensive. <laughs> Whatever you call us, we're the real dialogue podcast for business people who value real different dialogues. My friends at Malibu Milk are the world's first whole plant organic flax milk, and the company is created by a mom. Check out MalibuMilk.com. And uh, when you're checking out, Type in different 15. My friends at NetSuite are the world's leading cloud ERP system. They are the platform you need for your business. Check out netsuite.com slash different today. That's netsuite.com slash different. And our newsletter category pirates is on fire. Recent newsletters include the big brand lie, lightning strike strategy, how to create a legendary marketing plan and the category design scorecard and more. We have become a top 10 newsletter on Substack. Thanks to readers like you visit lockhead.com and click on newsletter to subscribe to category pirates. Now, hey ho, let's go. So, hey, Jamie J, you wrote a book. It's great to see you, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to see you. I fucking love you. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, you wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. I can't believe it. And, 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 and thank you for your inspirational foreword. Thank you for inviting me to write the foreword. It was an absolute pleasure. <laughs> and I absolutely want to get into the story that that foreword is, that the, what, what you and Sarah did last year, because I know, because <laughs> I was around. But before we go there, um, you are so many things that I respect and admire. And one of them is you're a vet and you're a vet entrepreneur. And you know that I love our vets. I love our military. And I have an extra special place uh, in my heart for our vet entrepreneurs. And so um, maybe could you just tell me a little bit about your military service? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, thank you. And, and uh, you know, it's one of those things where, holy cow, I, I know a lot of these vets and they've been to combat and stuff. I never saw combat myself. Uh, but I will say that I was part of the elite 82nd Airborne Division, 2nd 325 Airborne Infantry Re uh, Regiment. And uh, I had a blast. Uh, it, was, it was fantastic. Uh, you know, going to getting out of uh, basic training, going into advanced infantry training, uh, where I was an 11 Bravo, but then I, which is an infantryman, uh, but then I got switched over to an 11 Charlie, which is the mortarman. And so what you do when you jump out, after you go through jump school and you get assigned, we went there, you actually jump out with the equipment that you're carrying. So some of these guys are amazing. They'll have a, a 60 
or uh, back in the day when saws were available, they would jump with these big M60 machine guns. Well, I would jump with a base plate sometimes or the actual gun, the 60 millimeter gun. And you can imagine jumping out of an airplane. It's not very, very high jump, actually. Uh, in training, in, in when you go to get your wings, you jump at 1,200 feet. That's high. Uh, when you get assigned to your unit, you jump at 800 feet. And then if you go into war, you jump at 500 feet. Heck, you don't even need a reserve because if your chute doesn't open at 500 feet, you're, you're, you're kind of done. You're down pretty quick. You literally fall in the, there's the T-10 Charlies and the Dash 1 Bravos back in the day when I was in. Uh, they're different now, but the Dash 1 Bravos, you fall 22 feet a second. So you can imagine that's about the equivalent of jumping off about a 12 foot, 12 foot uh, wall. And when you land, you can't control which way you land. You basically, whichever way you come out of the plane and you're falling, so you could be going backwards, you could be going to your side. You just got to pull down and uh, they call it slipping. You got to pull down on the cords of the, the chute there and you pull it down and hold them into your chest and you try to slow down as much as possible. But man, you you hit that ground going pretty good. So yeah, I was I was really proud to be part of that organization. They, man, they run a, a tip top organization and uh, I was blessed to, be uh, be part of the 82nd. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Thank you, Jamie. And of course, thank you for your service. Now, after you left the military, there were moments w- where you fell on significantly hard times and, and you became homeless more than once. Yes. Yeah. I was homeless uh, as a teenager twice. Uh, my parents, my dad was kind of a, <laughs> um, he was, he was uh he liked to try and do things a little bit differently, I guess. He ultimately, uh, the second time around, ended up going to jail for embezzlement. He was a CPA and a controller of a pretty large uh, construction firm in Irvine, California. And uh, so uh, we had that we had been homeless once already from his business ventures <laughs> that didn't pan out. And then this time it was the second time around. Well, getting out of the army... Uh, I was married at the time and, uh, to my daughter's mother, and uh, she said, y- y- please get out of the Army. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate spending all this time away from you. You know, being in the Army, you're gone a lot. Uh, you know, we'd have 30- and 60-day training exercise deployments. So <clears throat> at the time I got levied to Germany, my wife came out for a little bit. Uh, I definitely got to see my wife, uh, you know, give birth to our, our baby girl, which was amazing, and I got in trouble for that because I wasn't supposed to bring her over, but I wasn't going to miss the birth. Um, and then, uh, she eventually went back cause I was never there and it was really hard for her. And I don't blame her, uh, for that, but she told me, Hey, hey if you want this marriage to work, we gotta, we gotta work this thing out. So I got out of the army early on the government drawdown, uh, for, uh, president Clinton that had, um, so went back and we had planned it all out. I was going to work for her father and we were going to stay with their parents until, you know, we had enough to kind of get on our feet and figure out what we were doing. So I got back and uh, she took me to lunch and asked for a divorce. And uh, I was like, oh, great. And by the way, you can't stay with us. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So I want a divorce and you need to get out. Yeah, pretty much. That was kind of a bummer of a lunch, I guess. I just wish she would have told me I would have stayed in the military. Right. But uh, yeah, she had met someone else. And uh, so I had to figure out where I was going. Uh, I had no, no place to go. I gave her the car. So she had a car for her and the, and the kid. So I literally had, yeah, I had my rucksack. <laughs> that was it. Uh, so uh, connected with a buddy of mine. And this is in the book. I tell the story in the book. And, and by the way, the reason I tell these stories, uh, I don't want people to ever feel bad for me or anything like that. Um, but I want people to realize that, that all of this led to, I'm actually blessed that all this happened because all of this led to a, a better life where I appreciated so much more uh, the friendships, like the friendship that I have with you. I will forever appreciate this for the rest of my life. I was able to find the woman of my dreams and um, I appreciate it on such a different level, just the same way that I appreciate the work that we're doing. So the reason that I tell these stories in here is because I really want people to understand that, hey, it's possible to do whatever it is you're passionate about. So it's kind of motivating, but there's a method to the madness. Um, and at the time, I didn't understand this. Looking back now, I totally understand how, you know, being a good leader, 
um, having an incredible culture, developing systems and processes uh, so that you can leverage your time. And then, you know, as your company scales and grows, you implement these systems and processes so that you can have a nice recruiting and hiring strategy. And I know I kind of digressed from, you know, what I did, how I got homeless and all that stuff. I think it's, it's important to point out that that's a really good lesson to have. And so I just hope other people will be able to kind of maybe not necessarily resonate with being homeless or resonate with these challenges. Everybody has challenges in their own way and affects them much in the same way that it affected me. Just maybe you've never been homeless, but you've had severe challenges before. Maybe you've gone through a divorce or maybe, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, so it was kind of going back to that story after that digression there. Um, you know, I called up an old buddy of mine, Eric, and he's in the book. He's amazing, amazing human being. And uh, he let me, he and his wife let me kind of stay with him. I felt too guilty. Uh, he was in construction and he had this big dually. So I literally stayed in the back of his dually for two days. And I, frankly, I just couldn't take it anymore. I felt so bad. Him tote me around everywhere. So I just said, man, thank you. I got to go. And he goes, well, can I drop you? And I said, nah, I'll figure things out. You know, being an idiot, prideful <laughs> guy and, and uh, didn't have any money really. Uh, so I just started walking down the 91 freeway uh, in Riverside County. And just kind of kept walking. And man, it's uh, another lesson I learned was always make sure you check the resources that you have and know what you have available to you. Because I was so hungry. It was a day and a half, literally camping on the side of the 91 freeway as traffic's driving by. My stomach's getting hungry. And there's a, a McDonald's on 91. I'll never forget. I saw these people i'd see you know the families or people going into mcdonald's and they come out with their bag of food hop in the car and they're gone i'm like it's just so easy for them to do that and i couldn't do that and i literally thought about dumpster diving like if i see someone <laughs> throw something out maybe i'll go grab that and then i thought well maybe i you know somebody will lend me some money and i said no i can't do that well then the second day passed and i'm like man it's i'm hungry i'm i'm just gonna suck it up and i'm gonna go ask for money and there I was <laughs> asking for money. Um, I'll never forget. I got, I don't know. I don't remember the exact amount I got, but it was enough to buy a couple double cheeseburgers. And I'll never forget double cheeseburgers back then were really, I think they were like 49 cents or something. And I was so hungry, but I ate that cheeseburger so slow. <laughs> like I just, oh my gosh, when am I going to get my next meal? Just totally enjoy this. Well, I stored the other one in my ruck and I said, you know what? I might as well check what I have here and see what I got going on. Well, Eric, my, my buddy, without me knowing, stuck $60 in my rucksack in a little pocket in the outside. So I didn't even need to bag that whole time. And uh, that was my lesson. Like, hey, make sure you know what you have. And, uh, you know, quarterly reviews and all that stuff. Have a brand new meeting. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, a, that was a little bit of my journey. Ended up uh, finally connecting. There was no cell phones back then, mind you. So I couldn't call anybody. Uh, I didn't have a page or anything like that. So nobody could call me, but there was a pay phone. So I reached out to another buddy and he said, yeah, of course. Uh, I talked to my roommates. Uh, yeah. Why don't you crash here? So long, long story longer, as you say, I, I went ahead and set up a time, moved in with them. One of their other buddies got me a job as a waiter. Two months later, they, they wanted me out of there and I was able to get an apartment and kind of start, start over from there. Wow. Thank you for that, Jamie. Um, and then you were homeless a couple times as a kid, right? Yeah. I was homeless uh, when I was 15, turned 16. Uh, I literally had my 16th birthday in the back of a 1979 Brown Suburban. Um, it was my little brother, me, my dad that adopted me, and then my mom and two poodles um, with about four suitcases of, of luggage. And um, I finally got a job off a of harbor right by harbor um uh right by disneyland there's a big mcdonald's there mcdonald's is kind of running into this thing but i got a job at 16 and i was able to make enough money at mcdonald's for us to get an apartment uh, a couple nights a week so we'd stay in the suburban then we'd go and i'll never forget the pit Cairn motel trashiest i mean you see people doing drugs. You saw hookers. You saw, I mean, it was just nasty. Um, since then, uh, Disney has done a really good job and the city of Anaheim has done a really good job of making that place a lot um, more desirable. But back in the day, it was crazy. Um, 
So here I am walking in my brown McDonald's uniform back and forth to work. And uh, one thing I'm not too proud of, but I was happy to be able to do it. My mom and brother would come through the uh, drive-through because I worked the drive-through. And my little brother would order a 20 chicken McNugget and I'd put like 42 of them in there and stuff it. And uh, so I, in essence, stole. Uh, I never got fired, never got caught, but I still feel kind of bad for that. But that was it. That's That's how we ate. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I did little things like that. I figured you kind of have to do what you have to do at the time, uh, to make it work. Um, eventually, uh, my dad got a job and, uh, yeah, we were, we finally got some housing in good old Huntington Beach, California. And, um, we had missed so much school by that time that my brother and I got held back a year in school. And so we weren't able to play regular sports. Because uh, we weren't, we weren't going to be eligible and stuff like that, but we still found ways around it. So I got into surfing and really enjoyed that, and racing motocross again. And you know, so we had a lot of fun. We 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 figured it out. Wow, that's a a hell of a story. And so maybe the obvious question, Jamie, what does it feel like to be homeless? Well, that sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It's embarrassing. Yeah, embarrassment's probably the biggest biggest challenge of it. Not being able to take a shower. Uh, not being able to eat. Yeah. Just, it, just embarrassing. I mean, it, I was walking, you know, across a McDonald's parking lot with a backpack. Didn't have a beard back then. Cause we had to shave in the army, but I was probably looking pretty scruffy and not smelling too, too good. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, it was, it just, yeah, it's, it's dirty. Um, it's scary. I'll say that because there's a lot of people, uh, you know, just people I would never want to be associated with. That's the other problem too, that I think a lot of have, people have. And I, I did listen to your previous episode on, on the homelessness there. And, and see, one of the challenges is too, you, you kind of become the people that you're surrounded by. I was in that position and I never wanted to be think, oh my God, I'm better than, than them. But I always told myself I'm better than what I'm doing right now. So I got to figure it out. Uh, you just had a strong sense. I am not going to stay living this way. hundred percent. And, um, and obviously there's a lot more I want to talk about, but if you look back today, I mean, he, here you are, you and Sarah and your team, and uh, you have built multiple successful businesses in your life. I think you are a uh, legendary entrepreneur. You are a heart-centered, huge heart. I mean, you're one of the biggest hearted guys I've ever met in my life. And you guys have achieved a level of uh, personal uh, and financial success that, uh, you know, you probably don't really have to worry about money very much, if, if ever. And you've created jobs for people and all these things. And so as an entrepreneur, sitting where you sit today, when you look back on being homeless, what do you reflect on? Uh, I, it, it, whenever I get into a dark time or I, I, I experience some challenges, uh, it's so easy for me to say, what the heck is wrong with you? What this could be so much worse. Uh, so it, it opens a door for blessings galore. Um, so even when do those situations, I know it's like to go through, you know, negativity and stuff like that, but that absolutely pales in comparison and I would say probably one of the biggest things that I've really learned is how to understand what true passion is. Passion for me is what I aspire to do. I may not have clarity, but I definitely have direction. And that is so, oh my gosh, emotionally, it just opens everything up and it makes everything worthwhile. I think the problem that people have is, it, I think it, the stat is, and, and I, I can't remember exactly, but after the 10th year, something like 75, 80% of uh, businesses that entrepreneurs start are, are closed. And you can have that at five years and about a third of that at three years or something like that. The stats are uh, staggering. And I always, my, my true belief is the fact that these people didn't have a true passion that they were following. Otherwise they wouldn't have given up because you know, as well as anybody you've seen inside our business, you've seen, we lost 62% of our, our clients when COVID hit. I would think most people would have had a really tough time reimagining what they're doing, but our, my, my passion to improve lives is so strong that I didn't want to give up. And it all stems from the, a conversation that, that came about to, I don't know, it was, it was a couple of years ago now, I think, where 
one of one of our clients who had run a business for three years but had only worked with our assistant for three months um, had called me on a Saturday. <laughs> and I was like, "What are you doing? Calling me on a Saturday? You're not supposed to be working." And he's like, "Well, I just wanted to call you to let you know I'm not working. I'm not working." Uh, Jamie, I'm sitting here with my wife and my kid. I just wanted to say thank you. You heard the phone rustle away. And his wife says, Jamie, uh, thanks for giving me my husband back. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that was like, that was really emotional. And it's because of, of that where we're able to positively impact someone else's personal. But if you can impact somebody like that because of something you created, holy cow, uh, it's a, it's a tremendous feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I can't think of a better feeling. Well, maybe there's two or three other feelings, but it's very close to the best feeling. (laughs) 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 Sorry, you know, sometimes I just can't help myself. Now, Jamie, let's go back. uh, That's why I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, brother. Let's go back in time because, you know, I was part of a handful of businesses that really struggled through the pandemic, yours being one of them. And what you achieved, I think, is unbelievable. So take me back to, you know, the the spring um, of, at least the spring in the United States, of uh, 2020, right? Jesus, got to get these things fucking straight in your head. 2020. Yeah, March, March I think it was March 17th, right around there. Yeah, so take yeah. me back to where your business was and then what happened, and then we'll talk about what you did. Yeah, um, <laughs> so another tragedy, um, March 1st, 2020, uh, I lost my mom, and and holy cow, that was tough. And it was right when we were really starting to kind of gain gaining that momentum. The, and, and the reason why I think this is important to tell before I talk about how the company um, rebounded, thanks to your guidance, is I got a call from my aunt saying that my mom was in the hospital and wasn't feeling well. So um, she said, can you come out? And I said, oh, my God, you know, the business is just slammed right now. But yeah, so I went out and found out how rough it was for my mom. So I literally spent the first six weeks of 2020 in and out of the hospital. Um, at that time I came to visit you, I think as well, it was right about that time. Yes. But I was talking with my mom, she had open heart surgery work. I went back, came back home. I got a call two days later from the doctor saying, Hey, when are you coming back? I said, oh, I'll be back in uh, a week from Monday. And he says, well, is there any way you can make it out sooner? And I was like, Oh crap. Um, so I made the second call, same call to my assistant Raina. Irina, I got to go see my mom. I, you know, I, I know we've got tons to go. She said, Jamie, don't worry about it. We got your back. After uh, being there, um, I was I was the only one in the room. 7.34, I believe it was, in the morning. Um, I whispered it in my mom's ear because she was really struggling breathing. And I said, Mom, I love you. I'm going to be okay. I'm blessed that I had the opportunity to be there while she took her final breath. And I won't say this to bring anybody down, but I say this because when I got back from that, after taking care of her estate and all that kind of stuff and, and coming back, I got back to a company that was stronger than before I left it. And I I'm really proud of that because that shows that my team aligns with my same vision, my same mission, our same provocative point of view. They all align um, and we have a similar belief system. We challenge one another, which I think is fantastic, but we have a ton of leadership in our organization. And it just proved to me that, you know, I have to take, everybody has to take their life and experience life and enjoy every single day. And if you can bring that kind of passion um, and feel that back from your team, wow, you're in a really, really, really good position, no matter how hard it is, no matter how struggling, how, how much your struggle is. Thank, thank you for that, Jamie. And of course, I remember that time very, very well. And of course, at that time, we really didn't know what was going to happen uh, with COVID. So you, after you go through this personal tragedy, you go back home and shortly thereafter, COVID takes over. And how old was... Um, was uh, the company at that point? I was going to say we're about three and a half, four years old. Yeah. 
And if you don't want to share it, it's fine. But before COVID hit, do you mind sharing sort of where the company was, revenue, employees, the sort sort of those sorts of metrics? Yeah. So we were at about, I think before the highest we got to was like 47 on the team. And yeah, we were doing we were doing pretty good. So with with that, we only had about eight or nine internal, I think, at the time that worked internally running everything. And then the rest were external. So everybody from part-time to full-time, we were doing pretty good. I mean, we were make, bringing in close to six figures every every month at one point. And then, you know, it dropped down to about 80, dropped down to 60. Holy cow, by January of this year, I don't even think we did 20. Yeah, we, man, it was... I don't know if we ever got to up to 100 if memory serves me correctly, but we were really we were on on the path to get there. Yeah, and then going down, holy cow, we had no. Oh my gosh, it was <laughs> like where? What are we going to do? Um, so we, you know, we started taking on jobs outside of just assistance, you know, websites and you know, coaching and doing whatever we could to to keep this thing going. We never lost one team member. Never, unless they wanted to move on and do something else. We never lost one. We always made payroll. Um, I can remember we were late one payroll, uh, and that was killing us, but we we got it. Um, so that was our biggest biggest hurdle was making sure we took care of everything else. Sarah and I didn't take any paychecks. Um, you know, we didn't do elaborate things. You know, we didn't go crazy or anything like that. And then, and I think June as we kind of got a couple more back, but as of June, I think that's when we met with you. And that's when the epiphany appeared. Why are we competing with, you know, virtual assistants? And we went into the play bigger book of business and uh, we pulled out a new category uh, for which we're really blessed. Um, We've even seen someone now say, it's virtual, not distant. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> like, no, it's distant. <laughs> so we, it's, it's nice. We're starting to hear people refer to assistance as distant assistance now. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it was, it got really, really, really tough, but, um, you really inspired the team. Uh, you took an hour out of your day, I think maybe even longer. And you just started popping off all these amazing ideas. And we were like, holy crap. Like, Yes. Yes. That's like, we wanted to say that we just didn't know how, and you just, I don't know what it was. You just snapped all of us into a, into a row and we just started marching forward uh, and just kind of put our heads down, rewrote everything, rebuilt it, did redid all the content, came up with a new uh, a brand kind of image, uh, a brand new message, new slogans. We changed the name of the company. Uh, we did all of this stuff while we um, we have a, a, a saying, we just really took advantage of that time. And I'm just really proud of uh, the team. And they just, they were so happy. I remember sending them all your book, the Niche Down books, and they, you know, were so happy and showing pictures when they got it. And, um, you know, they, they just learned so much from you and giving them the platform to grow into a leadership role themselves, have a voice come up with their own ideas based on your feedback. I thought, I thought that that was just, there's something magical there and something that I didn't want to let go of. So I think, I think uh, we're, we're excited. We're excited for where this is going. Um, Like I said, I can't, I can't wait for the future, uh, but I'm enjoying every day. (laughs) It's so great, Jamie. Now, if I could, if I remember, you know, and that's a couple of whiskeys ago, but one of the cha- so there was a challenge in the business around COVID. I mean that was obvious, and most of your clients were uh, smally entrepreneurs. Yes, yeah. So so smally entrepreneurs dis- disproportionately uh, impacted by the takedown in the economy from COVID, uh, and so your clients are literally having struggling in their businesses. But the other thing that was going on, if I remember correctly. Uh, which is why we wanted to uh, create a new category was the virtual assistant category had become sort of overgrown with companies that were much bigger and companies that were much more technology, not that you don't use technology. Of course you use lots of technology, but in, in your case, it's an actual person. Yes. Whereas the, the category virtual assistant morphed into sort of meaning mostly technology, if not all technology. And so, A, 
as the category matured, the competition got much bigger and it got, it tilted more to technology and less to people. Is that, am I remembering this right? I think that's a big part of that. Um, most people refer to virtual and it could be a, a human, but I was starting to see, you know, you set up the Google alerts and stuff and I always set up my Google alerts. And one of them happens to be a virtual assistant. I want to stay up on the news. Well, I, and every time I'm seeing this, it's machine learning, AI advancements, you know, all of this stuff that's going on and people are using a lot of AI and stuff to manage their calendar, to send out emails, automation, and, and that's all fine and dandy. And there are some great use cases for that. I'm not here to argue that, but I also think there's something to be said for having that human, that intimate based relationship between one human to another, no matter if it's an assistant, web developer, CEO, whatever, there's always going to be something to be said for having that human based intimate relationship. And, and you helped us identify that. <laughs> well, at the time, I remember, you know, sort of breaking down the problem and there were sort of, if I remember right, there, there were the two big problems. One was the situation with the economy and the clients. And the other was we need to be able, we, we are actually doing something different than these competitors. And so we need to get radically different because we're kind of in the wrong box, even though we do sort of the same thing. Is that a fair statement? The whole thing with COVID was a blessing in disguise, in retrospect, actually, from our point of view, because there's a certain point in time where people needed people to be in the office. Um, I think that promotes a lot of negativity as far as micromanagement. As a matter of fact, spending 12 years in corporate America trying to figure out how to get out for 11 of them, um, I understand what micromanaging is and red tape and all the stuff you have to get through to get an approval. Well, can I do this? Well, let me ask the boss. And then we have to go to this guy. Okay, yes, you can do that. And it took forever to get a, a flipping decision. Um, and that can, be, that can be challenging. But people are afraid to get rid of what they're used to. And I think a lot of people, that's just how people are used to. There's a hierarchy, you get approvals, um, you do what you're told, so to speak. The culture's, you know, gray at best, maybe blue, <laughs> um, but that that's it. And, and I think that toxic culture is devastating, devastating to everybody involved, except for the people at the top who are running more of a dictator style kind of uh, a, a business. And, and I wanted to get away from all of that. Uh, I think that has a big reason with what happened with COVID because there was a lot of people and I, I still cannot find evidence of this, but there's a lot like reports come out. Oh, 70% of companies have WFH policies in place. Well, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't believe that. I'd love to see the data supporting that. But even if you did because of COVID, you had to revamp what your work from home policy was. You had to figure things out because now all of a sudden friction points are lightening up everywhere and everything is having to be done. And, oh my gosh, uh, I got to figure out how to do Zoom. What's Zoom? I don't know how to, you know, people didn't know. Uh, Eric Yon, you know, he's he's been blessed through this whole thing, but people didn't know how to do that. They, like, little things like that kind of screwed it up. And you said one time, Jamie, you've been social distancing before social distancing was a thing. I've repeated that to a lot of people because I think that's freaking <laughs> hilarious. I've been working remotely for 15 years. I didn't have to deal with that. But what COVID did was it let everybody else understand that, hey, the future of work is a hybrid workforce. And, and we have the technology. Leverage it. Now, in-person place, I will I always have a thing for being in person. There's, there's something special about that. There's different personalities that feed off of the energy of being with other people. But there's also a certain percentage of your workforce that is more productive and, frankly, enjoys it more being part of a distributed workforce. Well, you know, on that topic, I've been really irritated with the emergence of this term Zoom fatigue. Oh, I got oh. Zoom fatigue. Zoom fatigue. Oh, really? Okay. What about fucking three hours a day commuting fatigue? What about sitting in an office with no natural light and no fucking window? What about I'm in a cube next to a bunch of donkeys fatigue? Right? And so it's like, Eric Yuan's reward for creating the technology that enabled all of us in the in the white collar knowledge worker part of the economy to keep working, we should be saying fucking thank you. I know for a fact that the people who developed 
and distributed the vaccine, used Zoom to help do some of that stuff to collaborate and communicate, you know, et cetera, government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like Zoom fatigue, really? Like, fuck you. This guy created a technology that helps save the planet. And, you know, Zoom fatigue. Maybe you have stupid meeting fatigue. <laughs> there you go. That's what it is. It is all about the meetings. And I have to say, if if, if, if I could just talk, and, and, and again, the in, in the book, I talk about meetings and, and how, how important they are. Um, and I could go on literally just having a conversation about meetings. But you're right. I don't think it has anything to do with Zoom fatigue. I think it has to do with how much energy you bring into the meeting and what the meeting's done. I think it's really important to have a meeting agenda. If you are fortunate to have a team that surround you, um, don't lead every meeting. Uh, for us, every Wednesday, a different person on our team leads the meeting. I never lead the meeting on Wednesdays. Never. I, I'm always a participant. Um, and we always go through there. We have our agenda. We always repeat our vision, our mission, that whoever's leading that meeting, our provocative point of view. That's always covered before we go into everyone. because I want that to be top of mind. And we all appreciate that. We get to love it, learn it, live it. Um, but we recently had someone come in, um, gosh, Michelle from Mind Equity, and she surveyed and 34 uh, team members uh, from, from our team responded to the survey. She goes, Jimmy, I've never seen this before. And I said, what? She goes, 83% of your team looks forward to your meetings. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm I, 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 83%, that's a B. <laughs> like, she's like, no, you don't understand. I get like 20%, 15%, 25% normally. And I was blown away. And that's because people don't go into these meetings with energy. So I'm with you on Zoom fatigue. I think they could take that and throw it in the case can for as far as I'm concerned, because it's it. I think it's all the way that you, that you promote it and approach it. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah, brother. And so here we are. It's it's June, July of 2020. The business is down easily 80 percent. Yeah, it's jobs are obviously at stake. Your livelihood's at stake. You and Sarah have put your entire everything into this, and, and so have m- much of your team. And so it is the rare uh, entrepreneur who in that situation says, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to go after a $0 billion opportunity, a, a category with $0 billion in it. There was zero demand in July of 2020 for distant assistance. Absolutely zero. And uh, you folks summon the courage to go do that and to get radical with it, right? I mean, you didn't just change the messaging. You, like, got on it. And so maybe tell me a little bit about, A, that decision, and then, B, what came, um, <laughs> what came after that decision as you flipped from virtual assistance to distant assistance? Well, I think it was... For me, it was having to understand what this new category represented versus a virtual assistant. Um, and I remember having that conversation with you and saying, you know, what is a virtual assistant? I said, well, the biggest problem people have right now, by the way, it costs $4,129 to hire somebody in the United States. Do you have any idea how much it costs to fire somebody? No, tell me. Nine months salary. Because you're letting someone else go. You now you have to start over. You got to go out and find somebody. You got to go through interviewing is super important. And so for us having to understand what the message was between a virtual assistant and a distant assistant really took some time to process. Even that first day, which now I clearly understand and you got it like that. I don't know how you how you did that, but it it took me a while to really grasp it. So a virtual assistant and, 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 and there's always a time and place for this. Um, as you say, and I totally agree, we will never be better than anybody else, um, but we'll definitely be different. And the reason why is because I understand what a virtual assistant is. A virtual assistant may be AI, maybe machine learning, bots, things like that. It could mean that I'm going to ask for a service or a product to be completed by somebody else in exchange for that. And oftentimes through many, many iterations, I give them money. Or they do a poor job and I say, no, that's not what I wanted. And I, you know, so you have to go find someone else. Not to mention, you had to go find those people in the first place. A distant assistant, specifically a dedicated distant assistant, is more of an intimate based with this, with a human being. And what we do is we really work with our assistants that we go out and source and vet 
and work with. Um, and what we do is we sh- share with them the value of learning all about our clients' uh, vision, mission, provocative point of view. And here's the kickers, the tone and the voice of how our clients share their message or want to convey to the world what it is they do. And if we can get people that align with our clients at this level, even though they're because now you're going to hire somebody that gets you, understands you, enjoys that vision, shares a similar belief system. And while they may challenge you from time to time, which is always good to keep you on your toes, they align with that objective. Thank you for that, Jamie. And so you essentially start rolling that out in August, September of 2000, the new category, the differentiation distant assistant versus virtual assistant. When, when do you get that rolled out? Technically, it's it's still almost done. We've had some more tweaking to do, but we we literally ra- launched distant assistants probably a little bit later than that, probably November, December. Okay. If memory serves me correctly. Yeah. And then... Um, we took that three weeks off for the holidays there, and I remember going full bore in January. And and what has been the effect on the business since rolling out the new category? And of course, you've gotten help from the economy. The economy did come back, and that you know that was very cool. But what? Um, where's the business today? If eighty ninety percent of the business was down in June July of twenty twenty, sort of help me understand where things are now. Well, um, I think as of as of this next month, we'll have usurped where we were prior to COVID. Um, and then I think we'll roll into next year. And I would not be surprised if we five or 10 times next year, because we have some, we have some things that we're planning uh, that we're going to be launching in January, February, and March that I think are really going to add uh, to the growth here. And um, our team is fully on board with it. Um, and so we're working really hard and not only to maintain our existing performance, but also increase it drastically. You told me in June, in a separate conversation after we met with the team, that I needed to figure out whatever the heck I needed to do to set up my infrastructure. And you said, you got to set up your infrastructure now because Mark, and I got to tell you, I, that's what I, that was been my number one focus is setting up the infrastructure of the organization, even though we may not be able to to totally afford it. We're not making tons in profit right now, but we are setting up the infrastructure so that we can, when we flip the switch, we're going to be able to handle all of that work. So the systems and processes, that's the probably the hardest part about it. Um, and I hear it all the time. I don't have time to do that. Well, you're really busy, right? Yep. Where are you going to be in three to six months? Even busier? Yeah. So get your systems and processes in order. Um, and I say it obviously a little bit nicer, but it's almost like I want to pound it into people's heads how important creating a system, a process, and workflows are. Um, because if you don't prepare yourself for growth, that's what you want to do, by the way. Not everybody wants to do that. I want to, um, and our team wants to, uh, but <laughs> you, you just have to have that foundation built. Because uh, like I said uh, in an interview earlier, it's a lot harder to build a wall in the house rather than to repair or patch, you know, a crack or a hole. It doesn't take as much. And that's basically what you're doing when you set up your systems is you're, you're, you're building the foundation and that's hard, but a foundation is a living, breathing document, living, breathing aspect of your business. So you need to keep paying attention to it and repair it and tweak it and do all of that stuff while your business is growing. Well, and the interesting thing, I remember those times so well, um, the other, well, you did many courageous things, but one of the other courageous things I remember you doing uh, in this sort of the heart of the crisis here was this conversation that you talked about that we had. Sort of when you study the data, approximately eight to 10% of companies actually get stronger through and then coming out of a recession. And I remember us having the conversation how do we be one of those companies? And part of the discussion was you have to plan to be one of those companies. And even though it's terrifying, revenue's down 80, 90%. You made a decision to start looking at how to invest in the business so that as the new category design and uh, uh, you know the new, the, the new economy on the backside of this thing started to move, 
that you could actually accelerate into it, which of course is now what you're doing because you are now on a higher trajectory run rate of growth than you were before the pandemic. Um, And so how, you know, is it your military service or like, what is it, Jamie, that allows you to summon the courage in these white knuckle moments as a small entrepreneur? You don't, you, you're not a trust and you don't have, you know, $250 million in the bank that you got from your IPO. And, you know, it's, it's you and Sarah and the team. And so how do you summon, summon the courage in those moments to uh, reposition the business around a new category design retrain the team uh, and then invest to the, in that infrastructure to be where you are now, because back then it was pretty, pretty fucking white knuckly. If I remember. <laughs> yeah, it still is at times. I, uh, I will admit, and thank you for asking that question. Um, but I, you know what I think it is? I think it's, I have some serious aspirations, which I've disclosed to you and um, Sarah and I together, we have these things that we want. And so we've identified bottleneck as a vehicle that we've chosen to ride in to get us there. But I, I think it's aligning with, I mean, <laughs> it's aligning with people like you. You've been so such an inspiration. And it's, it's, it, but it's not just that. They have been able to reach out to and have been that helping hand to kind of to hold us up and guide us. And um, at a time when many people are, you know, all about the almighty dollar, it's so awesome to see the diamonds in the rough and be able to say, you know, hey, I need help. And those people are right there for you. And that's what I talk about surrounding yourself with people that are much smarter than you, but also people that that genuinely care about you. And that's why I think the team and at Bottleneck, my wife and I, that's why our, our relationship is so strong. I think it's that collective passion uh, to help and support one another because we've seen what we do for our clients' lives. We've seen um, a DA that's bought their first home, a distant assistant. We've seen one of our DAs who six kids never owned a car before, just purchased their second car. We've started seeing this and, and uh, you know, the team sees this and it's infectious. And so I can seriously say without a doubt, without the team, without my wife, without you, without you know, others that have given so much time, their gift of their gift of just knowledge, the relationships. I think that's what got me through these white knuckle moments, knowing that I could always, you know, say, hey, uh, you know, in essence, they've got my back. Unbelievable, Jamie J. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on, brother? Just thank you, man. You're absolutely amazing. And uh, if it wasn't for you and Play Bigger uh, and Niece Down, um, we definitely wouldn't be where we are today. Well, that's overly kind of you to say. And I I just want to thank you, Jamie. You are, in my opinion, you are everything legendary about entrepreneurship wrapped up into one dude. And I would say that for Sarah too. I mean, and the two of you together. And the truth is a lot of small entrepreneurs are couples and you guys play hockey together. And of course you travel together and you do all this stuff and you build a business together and, and to see you, exhibit the courage to make the decisions to go for it and to really be at death's door as a company on death's door as a company, not that much more than a year ago. And to be now on a higher growth trajectory, it's incredible. You're an incredible inspiration. And I think you're an incredible inspiration to our vet entrepreneurs. And so thank you. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being my partner uh, thank you for wa- writing this wonderful new book. And um, I just fucking love you, Jamie J. Oh, man. I love you, too. Thank you very much uh, for writing the foreword. I wanted to sell some copies. <laughs> no, I'm just stressing. But no, I just I, I, I just want to say thanks. Um, and uh, I guess if anybody wants to learn more about this, you can go to quitrepeatingyourself.com. We set up a site and... Um, you'll see I featured Christopher uh, there and uh, just really appreciate everything you've done. It's uh, 10 months of writing this thing. I know you've, you know, the process there, but it's what a good feeling to have it done. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And uh, congratulations again, Jamie. All right, brother. I love you. And uh, I know we'll be talking very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, there he is, the legendary Jamie J. Now you know why I'm in love with that guy. 
His new book is out. It's called Quit Repeating Yourself. And I am deeply honored to have written the foreword for his book. So check it out wherever you pick up legendary books. And of course, on Amazon.com. Coming up soon, Dr. Talia Moran Schatz. She's the author of Your Life Depends on It. And you see, she's a PhD in psychology from the Hebrew University with a focus on, get this, medical decision-making, and we have a riveting conversation. In addition, upcoming episodes also include Joanne Molinaro. She's the Korean vegan. She's got a new book coming out soon, and she is outstanding. My buddy Joe Sonic is coming up soon as well, and many, many more. So make sure you're following Follow Your Different or subscribing to it or whatever we do now on your podcast player of choice. All right. We would like to thank the good folks at Malibu Milk, the world's first whole plant organic flax milk created by a mom if you've tried soy milk almond milk and oat milk now is the time for whole plant organic flax milk go to malibu milk with a y.com and on checkout use the code different 15 for a uh, discount at checkout that's different 15 at malibu milk.com with a y it's the small tasty change that makes a big difference also uh, check out category pirates at lockhead.com in less than a year, we've become a top 10 paid business newsletter on Substack. It's, we're kind of like a Harvard Business Review if it was written for and by pirates. And on a discount purchase of four or more, you will get a 20% discount. <laughs> That's what makes it a discount purchase. Check out Lockhead.com with two H's today and click on Newsletter for Category Pirates. My friends at Hallow App are the world's first real relationship app. If you've had it with being the product, with being monetized, with uh, having social platforms snoop on everything you do, check out the first real relationship app, Real Relationships in Real Private at HalloApp.com or type in H-A-L-L-O-A-P-P on your app store of choice. For Hallow App. And my friends at OneLifeFullyLived.org are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and you live your best life. Check out the number one, LifeFullyLived.org today. I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and all rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that clearly this podcast was created in a studio that does contain nuts. And the creators of this podcast were probably consuming libations. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Technical Awesomeness and Lockhead.com by Jamie J. And uh, Sarah Knox. Show notes by the handsome and talented GM Simon. Uh, Don't forget to read. Quit repeating yourself. Listen to the Ramones. Teach kids entrepreneurship. And I want to say a special thank you to all of our vets, our active military, and our military families. Bless you. I love you. Thank you for all that you do. Remember to spread podcasts, not viruses. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Elizabeth Holmes, former CEO of Theranos. Sorry, Lizzie. We just ran out of time for you. All right. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. Please stay healthy. Stay legendary, and until we hang out again, follow your different.